Why would you do that? We're in the end game now. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, call the Mike Seibert Radio voicemail hotline 231-224-MIKE. Again, that's 231-224-6453. And right into the mailbag, Mike Seibert Radio at gmail.com. And that spelling is... S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just like it sounds. And before I jump back into my marathon deep dive into Avengers Endgame that uh, that you asked for by popular demand, um, I'd like to blow the dust um, off of a segment that I haven't done in a very, very long time. Do you guys know what time it is? It is time for us to do like we do at this time every week. It is the weekend roundup. Guess what? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Yeah! Look, 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 look. That's cowbell sounds, and then a yeehaw <laughs> sounds, and a nay. That's a horse that they're riding. <laughs> Lassos. Lassos. And, um, I mean, bling, 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 uh, cowbells. Uh, they giddy up, and there's a sunset, and then drop. What is Weekend it? roundup. Wow. <laughs> what does a cowbell say? You're going to want that cowbell. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, man, it's the weekend roundup. Uh, last Saturday, May 18th, was the seventh annual Break the Chains 5K, the largest human trafficking event in Washington state. Um, I've talked about it on and off for the last few months here and then also on my other uh, podcast also called Break the Chains of Human Trafficking, uh, separate from the main feed, uh, where I talk to allies and survivors in our community about some of the myths and misconceptions about what human trafficking actually is and more importantly, what we can do to stop it. Uh, There's a link to that podcast in the show notes, uh, but I did want to take a moment uh, again and thank everybody who came out to the walk and all of the great volunteers and organizers who helped make this such a a successful event uh, again uh, this was a uh, uh, seven time through a uh, seventh annual and it was uh, it was a huge success gorgeous day uh, we raised over forty eight thousand dollars for federal way coalition against trafficking and Seattle against slavery uh, helping them continue the fight to eliminate human trafficking in our communities uh, now most of that money uh, will be put right back into help fund next year's 5k you know like a lot of hard costs like you know, rentals and infrastructure and and uh, things that that just cost. Uh, but they also fund uh, educational programs and resources along with other outreach materials. So um, uh, again, I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you uh, for your support, whether you've uh, retweeted a podcast or listened or um 
you know, signed up from uh, out of state, uh, those that came down and walked. Um, I, I saw a lot of folks out there on the race course. You probably saw me in like my little yellow safety vest uh, being one of the course marshals. And actually, uh, real quick, like I, I, I did want to mention that um, I, I had the opportunity to be a course marshal again, just like I did last year, but I was in a different spot. I was, I was on the last block before the end of the 5K. So that meant that I I saw some really tired folks by the time that they had uh, uh, gone up and down the highway and back again. Um, so I kind of tried as best as I could to kind of keep folks going and kind of keep uh, the enthusiasm going. Uh, but it was uh, it was incredibly encouraging just to see that uh, uh, sea of folks in brightly colored shirts uh, uh, going down that stretch of Highway 99. So again, uh, thank you to everybody uh, who supported and uh, came out. And it was really cool too. Uh, there was uh, there was a TV crew out there uh, taking some video, and I thought I would share some of that here. Uh, this is from King 5 TV, our, uh, our local NBC affiliate. On a sunny day in Federal Way, these steps taken look to shed light on an issue often kept in the dark. Human trafficking is an invisible issue. The reason traffickers get away with this is because they pick the most marginalized of marginalized people and they hide in the shadows. The Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking planned the 5K event outside the Commons Mall. And with more than 1,000 people, it's the largest human trafficking event in Washington. There was everywhere I could be. I'm glad I was here today. Kim Preston and Margie Patoahe walked to stand up for those victims still a part of the cycle. So we hope that in coming out, they find their voices to speak up and know that we're here for them. It has to be a thing where everyone comes together all the time to make a difference. Robert Beiser works with survivors of human trafficking and says breaking the chain involves an entire community. In Washington state, we've had over 500 survivors from over 50 different countries who have com connected with services. And those are people who are defined by law as trafficking survivors. He said it's the awareness from events like this that show victims there is help. It's unbelievable that they can do this to children, our adults. And it lets those victims know there's someone willing to listen. So that people know that it that it exists and that we're paying attention and that we're vigilant yes. to protect people who are vulnerable in our community. Callie Greenberg, King 5 News. Now, I'll have a link to that clip in the show notes, and I've also shared a huge photo album uh, of the event at Mike Seibert Radio Facebook. Uh, uh, tons of great photographs taken by Bruce Honda, who he has uh, uh, shared those out there. And also check out uh, Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking Facebook for more clips and pictures with more uh, certainly to come in the days and weeks. Um, so that was Saturday. Now, on Sunday, uh, after I got off work, I, I went to the studio and I knocked out a bonus episode, something I hadn't done for a while. Um, it, it was the anniversary of Chris Cornell's passing on Saturday, and I was inspired by a post that I had read from Kyle Stevens uh, from Kirby Crackle as well as the outpouring of responses that I got to my post asking folks what your favorite Chris Cornell song was. Um, I, 
I had never had um, a profound a calling and urgency to do a podcast before. I just knew that if I waited until this week's regular episode uh, that you're listening to now, uh, the moment would pass and the urgency would fade. So yeah, just uh, uh, reading everybody's responses and really kind of getting into that that uh, that headspace uh, just inspired me. I'm like, oh, I I, I was going to do something else with that time, uh, but I was like, you know what? I really need to get this, uh, get my thoughts and my feelings, um, and and share some of that. Uh, music from Chris Cornell um, uh, while, while the iron was still hot. But then uh, after I finished recording and put that episode out there into the world there, I I uh, uh, turned my phone back on, uh, checked it, and I saw that there were several more people who had weighed in and given their responses. So I didn't want to short anybody. So I thought I would share some more songs here uh, from one of, you know, Honestly, uh, uh, one of the very few singers whose music truly moves me in a, in a way that um, I, I'm still having difficulty even after uh, a few days after recording that bonus episode. Uh, Chris Cornell, obviously, of uh, uh, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, and more. Um, you're listening to Mike Cyber Radio. <laughs> Cage that's submitted by Anthony Brucali, uh, owner operator Madman behind TFU.info and the Transformers University podcast. Uh, um, uh, past guest of the show, he uh, uh, he wrote uh, the twin guitar harmonies hook you into that bizarre shifting time signature riff, all bound together by some incredible lyrics. Uh, quote: When it's raining, ice picks on your steel shores is just an amazing piece of wordcraft and. Anthony's a, a musician in his own right, and I, uh, I definitely appreciate his wisdom on that. Uh, Delvin, uh, Dark Web uh, and Phoenix Lighter out there on Twitter, at D underscore Ray 1977 from uh, Longbox Crusade and on Her Majesty's Secret podcast wrote, uh, Sun Shower. Um, I remember it being one of the first solo things I heard Chris Cornell sing, and I think it's just a lovely song, and I completely agree.
Dispatch John uh, from the Icon Dispatch YouTube channel uh, uh, suggested Fell on Black Days, uh, which I played during uh, the bonus episode. A great song. Um, and Caleb Carter from uh, Autopod Decepticast wrote Hunger Strike all the way and again I uh, um, uh, played that in the last episode and I played the uh, uh, the version with the duet with uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park and I talked about uh, that a little bit but it's uh, it's interesting I, I put a post out on uh, uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, uh, being kind of like in this Chris Cornell headspace the last few days kind of left me in a Lincoln Park mood uh, which which is really odd and strange and kind of weird. But um, to that, uh, Exy uh, at Lazy Freeze Pop, uh, who um, uh, gave a suggestion in the last episode, um, said, "Well, I mean, they're forever linked now." And I, I, it, it's strange that uh, Lincoln Park and Soundgarden would uh, would be inexorably uh, connected, but it's absolutely right. Like, you know, I I listened I've listened to that uh, that duet of Hunger Strike a number of times now, and it it's just it's just heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's at the time, it's just a cool novelty version of the song, right? But but yeah, having that that uh, extra weight and significance uh, after uh, both of them took a pass, it's just yeah, it just it just yanks your heart out, and and yeah. So uh, XE continues. Um, uh, both of their losses are just really sad. And yeah, that's uh, uh, that's very true. Uh, unfortunately, um, at Sooner Magic Bros at uh, the one true Jacob W out on Twitter. So yeah, this one kind of threw me off a bit. I, I I had to check my notes a number of times to make sure I wrote this down correctly. So his Twitter name is at Sooner Magic Bros, but his handle is at one true Jacob W. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, they write, "I am the highway" is a great song, probably my favorite song along with You Know My Name. And I would like to close out this segment with that uh, because you heard me uh, uh, wax philosophical about my love for Audio Slave, And this is another song to where I, I listen to it and I just, I, I get the, I get the throat clinches. It just, um, it, it's, it's uh, heart-wrenching again is, uh, is the best word uh, that I can describe.
thanks again to everyone who responded. I really appreciate the feedback. And uh, uh, and if you'd like to have your opinion heard uh, during a future podcast, uh, hit me up at Mike Seibert Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Right into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 231-224-MIKE. That is 231-224-6453. Would really love to uh, get your opinion and feedback and uh, uh, feature you as part of the show. Kind of help guide and influence uh, the conversation. Uh, Coming up next, I pick up where I left off uh, last week talking about Avengers Endgame, going through the cast list and throwing out some uh, uh, scalding hot takes. And and, uh, uh, full spoilers, by the way, uh, no further warning besides uh, the Russo brothers themselves have since lifted uh, the spoiler ban and oh yeah that uh, that trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home is out and has the biggest endgame spoiler in the opening shot so whatever in fact I think I had heard somewhere that in uh, current showings of Avengers Endgame they were going to um, attach the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home after the credits, which uh, kind of reminds me of a little bit about how the Avengers trailer uh, back in 2012 was, or 2011, uh, was, uh, was actually the stinger scene uh, or the extended stinger for uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, way back in the day. And incidentally, I, I uh, to tangent a bit, that I, I remember that, you know, we hung around uh, through the end of Captain America, first Avenger, and then that that trailer rolls, and there was just this, this sense of just being ready for it. It's like, okay, the table is set. I'm ready. So um, it, it'll be interesting to to watch it in that context, um, uh, watching the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer after Endgame to see if it has uh, that uh, um, uh, same feeling attached. But before I get there, I, uh, <laughs> I got to share this. I I almost forgot, uh, but I want to share something that, uh, that, that gave me the biggest laugh last week um, uh, from some Something called Cosmic Book News, which I'm pretty sure is a, is a Comicsgate website. Barf. A uh, headline: Fan fixes Avengers Endgame. Brie Larson and Captain Marvel removed. <laughs> uh, okay, so I uh, what what I'm going to read and share with you is totally in uh, sarcasm and for uh, uh, satire purposes, but uh, this this just blew me away. Now, you remember a couple years ago with uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, there was a uh, quote-unquote defeminized uh, version that that was out there that actually, I think even if I remember correctly, uh, Killing Spree ended up downloading it and checking it out, and he had uh, shared with us, I, I don't remember what episode it was, but that, you know, basically it was kind of like a troll, like there was like, you know, like there was like a, um, even like a troll icon that, that would show up uh, periodically, so it wasn't, wasn't meant to be as serious as uh, we thought, so I don't know if this is the same thing or not, but I... Um, I, I want to read to you this uh, this uh, 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 write up that that this uh, this uh, writer uh, named uh, Mac 
Matt McGloin, uh, that he wrote on this uh, uh, CosmicBookNews.com about the uh, fan edit of uh, uh, Avengers Endgame. So just uh, just kind of bear with me. Uh, tongue firmly placed in cheek. The Avengers Endgame wasn't a perfect movie by any means, but a fan went... Uh, made it a step closer to perfection as Brie Larson and Captain Marvel have been removed in addition to other changes. I'll say I love Avengers Infinity War, and I did like Avengers Endgame a lot, but I felt like the latter was weighed down by too many mandates, which included PC characters and also the questionable time travel elements to further along the Disney Plus Marvel series and additional MCU movies. The fan edit in question removes a lot of the PC SJW aspects of the Avengers Endgame, which similar to the Captain Marvel movie, feels forced and out of place. Diversity isn't a bad thing when it's organic, but when it comes off as shoehorned in just for the sake of political correctness, it's just wrong. As the PCBS has affected some of my favorite characters, I always argue, why not just create new characters instead of replacing existing ones? The list of edits can be found below. Regarding the removal of Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, I think it makes sense as she did nothing to further the story along. When she left at the start of the movie to go back into space, did she bring any cosmic help back with her? Nope. All she came back with was a fugly looking haircut. Uh, some of the things on the list I don't necessarily agree with, including removing Hawkeye training his daughter. I had no problem with that, and they did show him having a son. So there is that. Um, I also didn't have a problem with Pepper being in the rescue armor as part of the final battle. This is for the sake of the universe, so you would want everyone you could possibly have on your side to fight Thanos. Again, it's an organic thing. Having Pepper fight makes sense, but the scene with all the female superheroes doesn't make sense, and it's completely forced. Uh, the fan edit also removes the support group, which includes Joe Russo mentioning he was on a date with a dude. Joe Russo defended the scene in that it's organic, but is it really organic when the director himself does the scene and then partakes in multiple interviews to promote, explain, and defend it? At least the Jim Starlin part was cool. That, that it was. That, that was actually really cool, and I actually picked up on that. Anyway, I, sorry, I, I gotta, the music is still going, so I gotta stay within this. I'm, I'm not gonna, I can't break kayfabe yet. Uh, the fan is right on the money about Thor. I wish the fan could have CGI'd a scene with Professor Hulk kicking some butt. Hopefully the Hulk dab has also been removed. The Avengers Endgame fan edit has been uploaded to torrent sites, according to the fan, to edit out quote-unquote most quips and quote-unquote give more consistent serious tone because <laughs> i'm sorry um okay uh, uh according to the fan to edit out most quips and give more consistent serious tone because superheroes should not be funny all right, so here is a list of the Avengers Endgame fan edit changes reprinted here verbatim. 
Uh, so I don't know exactly what the source is, but uh, it claims to be verbatim what the changes were. Uh, no Hawkeye training his daughter. No women leader conference, comma, no gay support group talk. Jesus. Moping dialogue filler in the first act are severely reduced. Any science babble that isn't necessary to understand the story is gone. Nothing takes you out of a movie quite like pseudoscience. Amen, brother. Tony doesn't ask his wife's permission to save the universe. Female sorceress gets scared of Hulk and just gives him the stone. Whew. Uh, Tony doesn't meet his dad. Thor doesn't meet his mom. It's pointless. Sadly, Thor's unsalvageable in general, but I did the best to make him more dignified. Black Panther isn't the first revived Avenger to arrive and gets a bit less time. He's not really that important. Oh, and of course, women in final battle severely reduced. In particular, Pepper has no business being there. In general, whenever it felt like Marvel sniffing its own farts, that part is completely gone. I, I don't know what that means. Anyway, I, uh, uh, I have no idea where you can get this, and even if I did, I wouldn't share that with you um, because this is garbage um, and, and kind of misses the point. And holy crap, incels really don't like Captain Marvel, do they? You're listening to Mike Cyber Radio. Live every moment again and again. Avengers Endgame is a worldwide phenomenon. It's shattering records across the globe. You think about the dramatic attack? Get it together. Avengers Endgame, now playing everywhere. Let's play a lightning round game. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there just to just to see if you're still uh, paying attention. All right, so what I what I've got is I've got the IMDb cast list, and I'm just uh, going to uh, well not start at the bottom. I've I found a very specific uh, point. I'm going to work my way up, uh, very similar to how uh, they do in the closing credits of uh, of Avengers Endgame, and and I want to mention this right now because like I, I've written it down like in four different places in my notes so I would not uh, forget to mention it but um, and and obviously several other podcasts and several other folks have mentioned this this is nothing new but it is one of the things that I actually enjoyed the most about Avengers Endgame. It's the most subtle thing ever, but uh, the uh, the signatures, the autographs at the end when when we're showing uh, the characters. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an old school Trekkie and I loves me some undiscovered country and that is uh, that is one of the neatest uh, send-offs uh, for the original Enterprise crew at the conclusion of uh, Star Trek 6 is, you know, you get to see the autographs and you know the Russo brothers have have come out and explicitly said that's where they got the idea. So it's you know it, it, 
I, I don't know if you can call it a riff off. Um, you know, it, it's definitely an homage. And I, um, yeah, I, I just, I just thought it was a really cool touch. But I will say that unfortunately, that was one of the things that was spoiled from me from the internet. And I forgot about this when I, when I was talking to Selfie Dad earlier. I, you know, I had uh, said that nothing had been hard, hard spoiled, and that's still true. Um, you know. Like, no, the major uh, plot stuff uh, got spoiled. But I remember I uh, was on Instagram and I saw, um, like, you know, when you, like, uh, turn on the search function and inevitably they'll show, like, some kind of rotating uh, video from, like, IGTV or whatever. I don't even know what that is. I don't deal with it. But, but I saw what appeared to be you know, uh, footage from a screening and maybe a caption or something that said like, you know, this is the reaction when, uh, RDJ's, uh, uh, autograph came up and I'm like, shit, I think that got spoiled for me. So when it happened, I'm sad to say that I was a little less surprised than I would have been totally and completely cold. Um, It's one of those things, again, like we were talking about earlier in the episode where, you know, even spoilers without context, it still kind of works on your brain a bit and you you can't help but shake it. So, yeah, unfortunately, I I did have that mildly spoiled, but I still I still really liked it and I like the way that they did it. And I like that they put basically everybody um you know in in the slow roll to the credits i did think it was kind of weird that don Cheadle's name was first amongst those uh but you know when when you get to the you know the 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 last six you know the the main avengers that's that was really cool so anyway so so i was going through imdb and and you know uh the spot on the list i'm gonna start with is uh ken jong he was uh he was a security guard and oh man i'm grateful that that scene got cut but um another uh community star was and I was just listening to Fat Man Beyond um, a little bit ago and hearing uh, Mark Bernardin tell the story of uh, uh, Yvette Nicole Brown uh, being a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Uh, she was in the, the 1970 sequence with uh, uh, with everybody there. And that was one of those cameos where I just I just I I, I just thought it was awesome. Um, so I. I don't know. I I, for, I forget what the connection with uh, the Russos and community is because um, I mean even going all the way back to uh, Winter Soldier with that uh, uh, surprise cameo from uh, uh, Danny Pudi. I, I that that's still one of my favorite cameos because it's just so delightfully random. Um, I. I just now realized I haven't talked about the Stan Lee cameo, and from what I'm understanding. It is the last one um, of the ones that he had banked up and filmed, and I remember watching the the movie, and I, I at, at first I was kind of bummed uh, because uh, you know like at, at the uh, I, I guess this is spoilers for Captain Marvel. I mean I, I guess, but um, Captain Marvel was the first mcu movie to be released after stan passed obviously so you know they they replace the uh opening animation replacing all of the heroes with stan lee's cameos it it was incredibly sweet and it fades to black and says thank you stan and it fades to black again incredibly sweet and has um very probably 
one of my favorite cameos. I still love Stanley as the Watcher. I think that that's a or one of, hanging out with the Watchers from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Um, that I just love that concept. But there's there's a sweetness, and uh, you know, obviously being a huge Kevin Smith fan, the fact that you know you've got. Stanley reading the Mallrat script, doing the lines from the movie. He didn't have a beard, which was kind of out of continuity a little bit, but whatever. And and just the look that Captain Marvel gives him, you know, just kind of like that that side smile smirk, kind of the same one that we see in the beginning of uh, Endgame a little bit in her interaction with Thor. But I, I digress. Um, that. I, I love that cameo just because it is so sweet and I think it would have been it, it still would have brought the house down even if Stan was still with us but there there was a little bit of added sweetness very similar to his uh, vocal cameo in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse which I you know I've already talked at length about but you know now that he's gone it adds gravity and weight to it so his cameo in you know 1970s era Stan looking looking like he stepped right out of Stan's soapbox um, was uh, was also uh, really satisfying and, and really fun because they hadn't really done that and I think the thing that the last two cameos have in common is that he's not just some goofy character. He's he's Stan. He he's just Stan Lee. And in that same episode of Fat Man on Batman, I was just talking about oh, Jesus. Fat Man Beyond. Wow, I'm just as bad as Kev here. Um Kev like he's my buddy or something. Um uh anyway, sorry. Um uh I I just heard Kevin Smith mention in his podcast that uh, the gal that he's driving with in his 70s car with his giant mutton chops and and his black wig and uh, Nuff said bumper sticker on on the back of the car is um, is is meant to invoke uh, his uh, his longtime wife Joni and that uh, uh, that that got me a little choky when it, when I heard uh, uh, Kevin Smith talking about that on his podcast uh, uh, just a little bit ago so um, thought that was really cool um, uh, I don't know. If unfortunately, if if it's the most satisfying uh, cameo, I think it's really cool. I think it's really fun. But as you know, what will go down in history is, quote unquote, the last one. I'm not sure. Um, and and again, I I am crossing my fingers and hoping against all hope that if he didn't film any more cameos, that uh, that's it. You know, that like let let us feel that true sense of loss because now we're going to watch like Spider-Man Far From Home and be waiting for that Stan Lee cameo that's not going to happen because he's not with us anymore. I think I think that's part of the the grieving process. I think that's okay uh for that to uh for that to not be there. But um but anyway, yeah, I thought the uh um Stanley cameo was pretty cool. Uh you got the kid from Iron Man three. We talked uh, uh we've talked about that um a little bit already. Um uh, Joe Russo, who's uh, uh, the other half of the Russo brothers, uh, you know, uh, he has a small cameo as, uh, you know, in, in Captain America's uh, grief uh, circle group thing. And there there was um, 
I, I haven't read enough about this, but I, I remember there being, you know, uh, some kind of publicity about, you know, uh, you know, first openly gay character in an MCU movie. And it turns out it's this uh, this character uh, played by Joe Russo. And I don't know. I, I just I, I remember some of some of uh, folks I know uh uh, uh, being upset at the lack of LGBTQ uh, representation, and I, I think when you know, like you, you've got movies like Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel, and you know, really kind of moving the needle on uh, diversity and and inclusion and representation. Um, you know, I mean, it's. There are characters from the comics that uh, uh, that you can roll in, especially now that uh, that Marvel has, uh, you know, the X Men characters. Uh, you know, you could you could bring in Alpha Flight, and that means you get North Star. Um, you know, a, a uh, uh, so yeah. I mean, there's yeah, representation matters, but um, it, it gets into that weird space that I don't want to unpack here about is. Is inclusion that's forced any better than not having the representation? And and uh, unfortunately, being being a, a heterosexual white male over the age of forty, I don't think I'm the uh, uh, the person to unpack that. But um, I did want to uh, mention that um, uh, Red Skull is in this movie, and one of the things that I I forgot to um or that I, that I wanted to touch on is you know I I saw a lot of memes and I'm sure you have as well but what is that like when Captain America goes to return uh, the stones I talked about what you know the the puzzling aspect of returning the space zone but how how does how does returning the soul stone actually look um, so does he go to the mountain and just like you know, drop it back in. I mean, there's a lot of these mechanical questions of how specifically does he return it. But, uh, but with the memes, it's like, you know, I, I, um, I, I think it would, you know, our imaginations can have that scene where, uh, you know, Captain America runs into Red Skull or vice versa. And it's like, sup, Sup, you know that kind of thing. It's uh, you know, it, it would be incredibly awkward. It'd be oh, so uh, so that's where he ended up. That's cool. Uh, but while we're talking about the Soul Stone and returning it, the thing that the Red Skull has said to everybody that he's encountered. So whether it was Thanos and Gamora in in Infinity War, and then later Hawkeye and Black Widow. Uh, here in Avengers Endgame, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a soul for a stone, a soul for a, yeah, a soul for a soul. You know, and you can't help but wonder. Now we know that the Hulk uh, tried to bring Black Widow back, you know, and just you know how what whatever he was wishing for when he did his version of the snap. Um, and, you know, and he was sad about it. He's like, you know, no matter what I did, I couldn't bring her back. Um, but if Captain America is returning 
the soul stone, does he not then get a soul back? Um, does that give an opportunity for Black Widow to return? Does that give opportunity for uh, the 2017, 2018 version of Gamora to return? I mean, I mean, obviously it can't be both, but maybe it could be one or the other. Um, yeah, because actually, come to think of it, is it specified what time period specifically that that Hawkeye and Black Widow travel to? Because we know that um, that Nebula and War Machine travel to 2014 to be in the Guardians of the Galaxy, and you know, uh, uh, Ant Man and and Captain America and Iron Man they travel to 2012. Um, but yeah, I yeah I mm, mm, I don't know. Um, but I mean, obviously that's not in, in the cards, uh, story-wise, you know, everybody has said that, uh, that, that Black Widow is, uh, is permanently dead, which, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll unpack that in a sec, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I, it would have been neat to see a little bit of a, a confrontation between, uh, Captain America and, uh, Red Skull, uh, one last time. Um, I did want to mention, uh, uh, Morgan Stark, um, a little bit, you know, uh, obviously Tony and Pepper's daughters from the, uh, from the five years later, uh, timeline. Um, uh, first of all, the, the actress, uh, uh Lexi Rabe was, was really great. It's, you know, kind of hard to, to pull off, uh, being a precocious kid and not be, um, obnoxious, but um, I, I had read somewhere uh, that apparently after uh, th- there was there was supposed to be another scene after Tony snaps his fingers with the Infinity Gauntlet and he travels to kind of like the Soul Palace thing um where a teenaged version of his daughter was supposed to meet him there and more or less do the same thing narratively that the end of the movie does when when Pepper and and you know Peter and Rhodey you know tell him that you know it's all it, it's okay uh but apparently test audiences didn't quite latch onto it because they didn't recognize uh you know the actress as being anybody so there there wasn't any connection there unlike say in infinity war where it was like the child version of gamora and you could tell by you know her complexion and overall you know look that oh yeah so this is the same character just younger and then they flipped it for uh for for uh morgan um apparently that actress is from uh, uh 13 reasons why that that netflix show i haven't watched it i don't know anything about it uh but yeah apparently that that was kind of like a big uh cut that happened uh, from uh, test audiences. Uh, let's keep moving. Um, you got uh, Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. He does a walk-on at the uh, uh, funeral. Has no lines. Um, uh, well, you know, uh, Chris Pratt as Star uh, Star Lord uh, Peter Quill um, uh, did not participate in the MCU fitness program that I think everyone else did. He's just like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting buff. Uh, uh, I want to talk about Josh Brolin as Thanos a little bit because I think, I think his portrayal will kind of go down in history as one of those kind of iconic villains because there there's there there there's a certain affectation of the way that he speaks and the way that his dialogue is it's you know 
It uh, I, I, and again, I'm uh, I, I'm embarrassed for saying this out loud, but it does kind of remind me of some of Orson Welles's lines as Unicron in Transformers the movie, uh, because I mean, like there, there's there's a weight, there's a gravity to it, and and again, there there's just a I don't know a a um. I don't. I don't know if the right word is properness, but that. But there is like you know, just just the way that he speaks and the lines that he says. Uh, it's it's really iconic. And again, uh, like like Chris and I were talking about, they kill him twice, and I thought that was uh, um, very satisfying. I mean, it's one thing to see uh, the villain get his cup umpets, but it's it's something to see it twice. Uh, let's see. Uh, Robert Redford shows up as Alexander Pierce, uh, reprising his role, of course, from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And I should have talked about this earlier, and I apologize that this is backloaded into the uh, uh, end of the episode here, but um, I may not have said this enough, but that sequence... The, the the whole 2012 uh, in between, uh, you know, following along through the original Avengers movie is my favorite part of the entire movie. And even more specifically, when we're really touching on uh, the things that we know are coming, uh, you know, uh, Hydra, uh, the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, there there was a few uh, different times where you know it's like my my move when I'm when I'm really excited about something is like I will like lean forward in my seat, which is really kind of tricky at times because our theater has like those luxury recliner type of things. Anyway, so yeah, it's like I you know unrecline my seat and I lean forward and I'm like you know even kind of being like the the statue of like the thinker with like you know I'm like you know kind of pursing my my thumb and index finger on my chin and just you know just that's an indication that it's really got my attention and i i remember when uh one when alexander pierce shows up it's like oh my goodness so robert redford's last movie apparently is not uh that one where he's a uh an old man robbing a bank it's it's an avenger and i think that's great um but then, like you know, the uh, you know the strike team shows up, and is Frank Grillo, and you know, Crossbones, and all that, and and I think the the uh, there's a couple scenes specifically that gave me chills, but uh, I think the one that that was I think the beginning of my chills, where I realized when when the movie really gets going, because it 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 takes a while for for the movie to get going uh you know when i was listening to uh so i married a movie geek they they said it's it's kind of like broken into thirds you know it's like the first third of the movie is everything we saw from the trailers and you know how we're dealing with thanos and we're jumping to five years later and all that the middle third is all the time travel stuff and then the final third is the uh you know climactic uh uh, battles and whatnot and the middle third obviously uh, for me at least is is the strongest, but um, I, I just didn't really feel like the movie got going or got going again, you know, up until like that, that, um, 
it comes up and it says 2012, you know, New York 2012. I'm like, oh, now we're getting somewhere. And, you know, like, uh, again, that that entire sequence, I, I could talk for several more hours just about that sequence. You know, I mean, like, you know, the, the Captain America fight, you know, uh, all of the stuff with America's ass. I, I you know, I, I thought that that joke played really well because, um, again, it, it's been a hot minute. But Chris Evans, he comes from comedy. He's a funny dude. So to see him kind of touch back into that, and since he has so much equity as Captain America, and I guess I should have saved this for when when I do get to Chris Evans, but um, but yeah, no, I um, my you know one of one of my favorite lines is when you know totally earnest fresh from the ice steve rogers is like i could do this all day and then uh kind of more jaded and tired more accurately tired cap is like i know and it's just oh it's just a wonderful exchange i i really enjoyed it uh but um the the thing that really gave me the chills the tingles is when we get into the elevator and it's blocked and set up exactly the same way as uh, as that scene in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and I I'm like, is he going to beat up all these people? Um, you know how how is this going to go? Is that going to be like the exact same scene? But but it's like you know a couple years earlier. It's oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, so anyway, that that was my piece about Robert Redford <laughs> as Alexander Pierce. Um, I, I do want to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow as uh, Pepper Potts a little bit because, um, you know, it's so she gets her own set of armor, which is straight from the comics um, that, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know if she has the code name rescue in the movies, but that's uh, um, there was a time where where Pepper Potts was running around as, you know, I think it was an acronym. Um, or something. I don't remember what it was. This, this was uh, uh, more than a few years ago. But um, one of one of the things I saw online uh, is you know people complaining about how well she operates the rescue suit. You know, it's like, well, you know, I mean, it's almost like the the same people that bitch about Ray. Uh, well. I do also, but, but it's like, yeah, well, you know, we, we don't see her training with the, with this Iron Man suit and how can she be so proficient at it? And I, I've got a couple things to say on that one. I think it's cool. I, and, and I think since the character of Pepper Potts has been there since the beginning, just like everybody else, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Gwyneth Paltrow. I know you aren't either but i do think character wise it's it's fine it's it's worthy it's satisfactory and um yeah it, it just creates a cool moment you know it's like we are earlier when tony and morgan are at the cabin and they're playing with the mask i'm like oh oh that's oh that means we're gonna see the rescue suit are we really going to see the rescue suit? That would be cool. Um, again, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, subverting expectations, I I guess. But um, my, my thing is, is I, I, I feel like that. Actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to own this. I um, on first viewing at first blush, I talked about when uh, Lucky and I were having dinner at Azteca. One of the things that that was kind of bugging me a little bit is I'm like, 
has she really gone through a whole lot of combat training in uh, in the rescue suit? Because yeah, man, she she can you know she can kind of kick some butt in that. But then I thought about it more, and you know, really the beginning of her experience with Iron Man armor goes back to Iron Man three. So you have a span of time, and who's to say that you know, like in the post snap uh, timeline, that you know maybe she was running around in the rescue suit for five years. You know, we don't really know because that that timeline uh, is probably going to be left mostly unexplored. Um, I I don't know if that's rescue Mark One. For example, that that because uh, yeah, because that that scene with Tony and, and Morgan, it's like, well, you know, don't mess around with that mask. It's you know, it's it's for your mom. So, I I've I've retroactively read it is that that's just like the latest iteration of the rescue suit. Um, again, maybe get back to that conversation that. Um, that I had earlier when with uh, 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 Paul's voicemail asking about what the what the landscape is like. And, you know, maybe that's because, um, again, that that's how that's how rescue was kind of uh, portrayed in the comics is, you know, kind of like being like, you know, a first responder type of thing. And, and I think that would fit in quite nicely in the uh, in the intervening uh, five years. But I, you know, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, I, I thought it was cool for, for the character to get the same due that all of the other ones did. So, um, so yeah, so I'm just, I'm just kind of skipping through here. Uh, you got, uh, both Bradley Cooper as, uh, as Rocket. Um, he has like five lines in this movie and they're all great. Uh, Vin Diesel is credited as the, uh, voice of Groot, but, I don't know, man. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember hearing a um, a uh, I am Groot. But yeah, I, I may I may have uh, missed it. Um, uh, James Darcy as uh, as Jarvis uh, shows up, and um, I'm glad I'm going through. Um, you know, IMDb here, so I so I don't forget these folks and making this bonus triple bonus thing. God, I hope this isn't longer than the movie itself, but I get a feeling it's going to be. You've already seen the runtime, and you're just like Jesus, Mike. You did it again. Uh, but I, it's it's uh, having uh, James Darcy show up as Jarvis. It it it's the first time that they've connected something from the Marvel TV shows. Uh, to something in the movies and um and yeah it's sorry i was i i was thinking about uh when kevin smith gave his uh hot take review like right after watching he was like oh my god that's he had no idea he had no idea that uh jarvis was a character on the agent carter tv show and you know he had he he got the uh character beat correctly that that ends up being the inspiration for the Jarvis AI uh, but yeah no it's it, it was cool to see that character around we already talked about uh, Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow uh, uh, Crossbones as well as Maximiliano Hernandez as Agent Sitwell and again I just I just thought it was great it's like you know we you know these characters that we haven't seen since uh, since Winter Soldier um 
Oh man, I'm I'm gonna have to start racing through these because oh my god, look at look at all these pages. I can't I can't read all these. Good God. Uh, all right. So I mean I mean you got uh, Linda Cardellini as as uh, Hawkeye's wife. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Hawkeye's family in in uh, a little bit. Winston Duke shows up as Mbaku, the uh, the man ape from uh, from the comics. Uh, Sean Gunn still uh, good on him for uh, saying, well, no man, I need to be in a mocap suit. Uh, you know, uh, and, and again, some some of these characters are so so deep cuts that you kind of forget about them. Like uh, again, William Hurt shows up as uh, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, he first appeared in The Incredible Hulk, and then uh, was pulled out of mothballs for Civil War, and again got put back on the shelf for a while. And and yeah, so he just has like this walk on uh, uh, during the funeral, along with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and and uh, Michael Douglas as the as the Pims. Uh, um uh so Angela Bassett is is credited as uh Ramonda, uh Black Panther's mom, but I don't remember seeing her. Uh Taika Waititi, of course, as the voice of Korg in uh uh one of the um one of the the uh funniest in retrospect but cringiest at the time uh moments of the movie. Um, I, I've, I've got some thoughts about Thor's arc that, uh, uh, that I'll get to in, uh, in just a minute, but it was, it was really, it was really nice to see, uh, uh, Korg back and, and, uh, just, uh, I don't know why we're still playing Fortnite in 2023. Um, but, uh, but he's, he's rocking a, uh, uh, an Aloha shirt. So I thought that was rad. Uh, Marissa Tomei shows up, I'm presuming at the funeral. Well, I know she was at the funeral. Um, and, and this one, so Natalie Portman is credited as Jane Foster, you know, uh, and, um, I don't know if that was new footage or recycled unused footage from Thor, the dark world, but either way, I don't know if she actually has any spoken lines. And I know that, uh, Natalie Portman has been very, uh, vocal about not wanting to get tied into another big franchise, you know, after her, uh, disappointing experience with, uh, with, uh, star Wars. So, but it, it was still cool to see, um, um, Haley Atwell shows up as Peggy Carter, of course. Um, always, always great seeing her around. I, you know, uh, the first season of Agent Carter was really good. The second season was less really good, but still pretty good. Um, uh, I've, I, I like the character. Uh, she's, she's always been a fun, uh, foil for Captain America. Uh, John Favreau, uh, uh, getting more play as Happy Hogan. Uh, Tilda Swinton shows up as the ancient one. And again, that's one of those things where it's like, oh, right. You're, you're in this movie. I, again, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, you just get literally everyone that's ever been in any of these movies, including uh, John Slattery as as Howard Stark. I think that the the makeup and hair uh, effects that they put on him was maybe a little too much. It looked a little too um, a little too hokey. Um, yeah, just like the the rug that they put on him was maybe just a little too dark um, or something. Um, 
uh, Letitia Wright is is uh, credited as Shuri, of course. You know, showing up uh, with uh, with uh, Black Panther, and uh, yeah, again, you you got you got your uh, Batista as Drax, uh, Benedict Wong as Wong. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Denai Guerrera is credited as um, Okoye from you know, obviously from Black Panther, and something that I hadn't uh, really mentioned because I you know. When the um, you may remember this when the first poster came out or when like the final poster came out with like all of the casting list on it, there's um, on the poster. It's just the heroes that are left. So none of the dusted characters are there. Um, And since there are so few characters, everybody at the top got their name listed. You know, so it's, you know, you know, Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, blah, 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 blah. And everybody on that poster has their name at the top except for Denai Guerrera. And she's uh, she's there on the poster, like like right behind Captain Marvel. I think even I don't think that's even a new image. I think it was taken from uh, uh, Black Panther uh, promotional material. But the Internet lost their damn minds. And. Uh, you know, I, I was talking about this with uh, some folks at work, and it's like, if you're going to leave off a character um, or or an actor's name, don't do that one. That's just, but but what it comes down to is contracts and agents and and Hollywood bullshit. Um, I don't think that it was racially motivated or even size of the role because really I I don't even know if she even has any lines she she shows up with Black Panther you know with with everybody else and yeah I just um but that's not to say I mean again if if literally everyone else is listed at the top of the poster you 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 can't leave one person off, especially if if they're like a person of color, especially if they're if they're female or whatever. And and you could say back to me, well, Mike, that shouldn't matter. But when it's when we're talking about diversity and inclusion and there's one person excluded, that that does mean something. So um so so you know, Disney jumped on it immediately and, you know, uh, uh, got it fixed probably by, by the end of that business day, but still, and it, I think it was just one of those weird things where it, it just, I, I don't know whose oversight it was, but it was just one of those things where, you know, I bet you all of the other actors had something in their contracts that said I need to be on the poster. Um, and, and it reminds me, and I forgot, I, I, I also had this in my notes and I was going to talk about it uh, when I was talking about the Stan Lee cameo. I forgot to mention that one of the, the other cool things, and I did not notice this, um, but apparently during the opening animation, I remember it looking different but I was fixated on that it wasn't the Stan Lee tribute again. I, I was really thinking that that would be, you know, we, we could do that again, but eh, it wasn't to be. But the uh, um, 
only the non-snapped heroes were featured. So the reason why the animation looked a little different is because it's got half of the characters in it. And I, I thought that was kind of a nice touch. I Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of the um, of the current opening animation. I liked it better when it was just the flipping comic books, fade to red, and then the giant white Marvel letters. And one of one of my favorite things in uh, Iron Man, you know, the the original one is where because we had, we'd been familiar with that already, you know, the flipping comic books in the red and the bold white letters, and then and then like a line drops down underneath Marvel and it says Studios, and that, and then that was the beginning of it, and you know. Over the last 10 years, it's just gotten more and more and more elaborate. It kind of reminds me of a uh, CinemaSins video a bit. And, you know, it's like 40 seconds of logos. Um, I would be remiss if uh, if uh, we didn't talk about Tom Hiddleston as Loki. You know, he has a, has a very uh, small but pivotal... Uh, well, no, it's not even pivotal. But, but more or less, Loki's back, in, in a sense. So, you know, he... Uh, I... You know what? I uh, I thought that that either like his death was going to be fake or you know just I I I didn't buy it because it was um with Loki it always felt like it was the character that cried wolf so when they when they really tried to say something um you know oh nobody's safe because we killed off this fan favorite character it's like it didn't that was the one that didn't quite land um, in, in Infinity War, when we're kind of trying to establish stakes early, it's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, and, but now, now that he is in possession of the cosmic cube and can, you know, jump into space and, and it's again with, with the time travel stuff, he's now, um, yeah. How does that work? Because he's he has the space stone or the tesseract and that doesn't necessarily mean he can travel through time but that does mean that much like i i went on like this whole big thing about um about nebula and gamora and you know thanos and his army and stuff you know kind of being time displaced that's that's kind of how that goes is you know it he's um he he's basically removed from the time stream and there's no reason to have to put him back or maybe the the uh, the loki series is you know uh captain america trying to track him down to put the the space stone back i mean you you can look, you can look at that a, a couple few different ways but um i i i thought that that was uh i thought that was pretty satisfying and uh pretty fun um you know uh, uh you got sebastian stan and anthony mackie as uh winter soldier and falcon uh respectively uh they are going to be in a disney plus series uh talked about that earlier with charlie i'm really looking forward to it you know it, it'll just it, it'll be interesting to see if uh if they uh, changed the title. Um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen is uh, Wanda Maximoff, the uh, the Scarlet Witch. It, it seems like she's finally gotten a good handle 
on uh, on that uh, that that ropey, vaguely Eastern European accent. It's it's been consistent for at least a couple movies now. So so she she doing okay there. But that is that 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 was a fun scene where you know she she's got all this righteous rage for Thanos, and he's like, dude, I don't even know who you are. Um, one of the uh, uh, the most uh, touching scenes. Uh, for me at least, uh, is when we're spe- one we're validating Thor: The Dark World because we're spending so much of the time travel element there. Uh, but all of the stuff with Thor and his mom, uh, you know, Rene Russo comes back uh, to these movies, and it was just it was really sweet and really touching, and and it was just cool to see that character again because it's like oh. Oh man, I you know we we kind of missed you from uh uh from from these latter movies. Um uh same thing with uh Tessa Thompson. I mean it was, it was cool to see that that Valkyrie was okay. Uh because I I know that was one of the burning questions coming out of uh Infinity War. It's like, well, you know, where did she go? Where are all the Asgardians? And, you know, that 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 perspective of, you know, new Asgard, you know, kind of being in Norway, that's that's mostly from the comics. Um, A lot of comics I haven't read. I I haven't read a whole lot of Thor comics. It was never really my jam. But um, but I, I like that the Asgardians have kind of like settled into like this Norwegian village. But it does make me wonder, you know, because, again, we're doing the five year time jump. I wonder if a bunch of Norwegians are going to be like snapped back into existence and be like, "Hey, man, you're uh, you know, you're uh, you've kind of taken over our fishing village here." Um, but I I like well, one I like the Valkyries in the movie, and I'm I'm actually kind of stoked for that for that Men in Black sequel where you got Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth again. It feels feels like Thor Ragnarok two, uh, basically, which I, I'm cool with that. Uh, but yeah, I I like. I like where they leave her character as being king of Asgard while while Thor goes off to go uh, find himself and um and, and that that feels like a uh, uh satisfactory curve in in her uh, story arc because really uh, she's still kind of like on that on that redemptive path uh, because you know it's like at, at at the end of Thor Ragnarok, I mean, she's like, you know, you know, still, you know, fully realized, but, uh, but still with, uh, with some room to grow, um, as well. Um, you know, we, we, uh, uh, talked a little bit already about, uh, uh, Gamora and Nebula, uh, uh respectively, you know, Zoe Saldana and, uh, Karen Gillan. And I, I liked that, well, one I I like how the two of them interact. You know, as kind of kind of dysfunctional uh, uh, sisters, and I like that. You know, like they've had the character development that they established in Guardians of the Galaxy two, and that you know, like it's there, but it's not. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, that's that, that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic uh, going forward. But um, I got to tell you, and the, since this is this is way deep into the podcast, and you're probably not listening anymore, I could probably share something mildly embarrassing, and uh, and maybe nobody will notice because this this is kind of embarrassing. I I have a little bit of a crush on uh, on Karen Gillan. I've uh, you know I I'm not a Doctor Who uh, watcher. Uh, but I, I remember, uh, when, when she came to Emerald city comic con a number of years ago that this, well, actually this was probably around, uh, either 13, 14 or 15, uh, right around the time of guardians of the galaxy, because I remember she showed up and her hair had not grown back yet from when she was playing uh, Nebula in in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And she had, I don't know if she did this for subsequent installments. I don't know if she did this for Infinity War or Endgame, but I, I remember famously in that first Guardians movie, she actually shaved her head. Um, so like when, uh, so when she showed up in Seattle, you know, she was kind of rocking like, like the Sinead O'Connor look and it was, it wasn't bad. Um, she's, uh, uh, um, uh, very pretty. Uh, but the thing that, the reason why I share this with you and why it's kind of, uh, embarrassing is, um, uh, her character Amy Pond on uh, Doctor Who is apparently very popular with uh, the fan community and one thing you see at these conventions is cosplayers and I just remember that convention being uh, um, no shortage of cosplayers uh, uh, dressed up as redheads and short skirts and cowboy boots and I'm just like and I remember tweeting this I was like you know I'm having a hard time uh, differentiating the Amy Pond uh, cosplayers from just the regular old hot redheads and short skirts and cowboy boots it was uh, uh, whoo that's uh, um, so so that's my my embarrassing story about my uh, uh, crush on Karen Gillan and um, anyhow so let's uh, let's move on to baby Spider-Man and talk about Tom Holland um it's it reminds me of one of the one of the weirder aspects of the movie so people so the the folks that were unsnapped by the hulk that you that that just um you know rematerialize after uh 5 years it's the the exposition dump was kind of weird where baby spider-man shows up and he's like oh mr stock i i was i i remember turning to dust and now it's five years later and just i don't know that the, the voice gets to be a bit bit much um uh but the thing is is like so all of these people so the guardians of the galaxy uh i don't remember the name of the planet i don't remember any of these planets but they're still stuck on that same planet that they were when they got snapped, right? Um, because, you know, uh, Tony Stark and Nebula took the spaceship and it's been five years. So how how did they get there? Um, and who gave all these folks the explanation? Um, now, I suppose you could say two things. 
one um since you've got uh you know we're using portals and and dr strange's sling ring mystical arts technology to you know uh, get everybody for so that's probably how they got off the planet actually and to that point they were with dr strange because he got snapped on that planet along with them that's fine and i'm sure that Doctor Strange was the one that, you know, probably has, you know, through whatever his astral awareness or whatever, knew that five years had passed. But what about the other characters? Like, how how does, I don't know, the Black Panther people, you know, how, how do they get the word? You know, or anybody else that has, you know, just uh, recently returned from being snapped after, after five years. It's like... Um, and again, you got to get through the plot, and it's one of those things where, again, you can't, you can't, you can't look at it hard enough. I mean, or you can't look at it that hard, I guess. Um, so yeah, and um, that that was a very sweet moment between uh, Tony Stark and Peter Parker, though. You know, it's like it it took Tony growing up for for five years and having a family of his own to finally be uh, affectionate towards Peter and I, I thought that was uh, um, I thought that was great um, let's all right here we go let's let's talk about Captain Marvel uh, let's talk about Brie Larson so um, first of all can somebody explain to me why? the internet whatever the internet is why um why people don't like brie larson as captain marvel like apparently there's there's like a petition to have brie larson replaced as you know uh i i, I haven't looked at it but but basically apparently it has like fifteen thousand signatures and i'm sure they're all you know basement dwelling comic skaters and and screw those folks um i you know i i i found her in captain marvel to be kind of bland but i i'm not offended by her presence and it's like i don't I am painting in broad strokes, but I don't know if it's because she's a ho woman or I, I, I really don't understand what, uh, the internet is, is having a fit about. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like you, you watch a video or two that killing spree sends your way. Suddenly I've got all kinds of like YouTube recommendations of stuff I just don't want. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of internet hate towards, uh, Brie Larson and specifically her as Captain Marvel and, and as, you know, the Carol Danvers version of a, uh, of Captain Marvel as well. And to which I say, screw all you guys. I mean, like, you know, the the people that the character is important to it's important to them and that's good enough for me it doesn't i mean she's not my favorite character i you know i i i really don't have a whole lot of you know uh affection for for the captain marvel character so um but likewise i'm not with them so it's it, i i don't know i but but the thing that I wanted to talk about from my perspective with regards to Captain Marvel is that 
I really thought between the uh, the way the post credit scene from Infinity War, I'm is it a post credit scene? Yeah, a post credit scene from Infinity War with the Pager and Nick Fury. That you know you you see the setup of the Captain Marvel logo. And then it's like, ooh, Captain Marvel is coming. That's awesome. Then, as a tide me over, you get the Captain Marvel movie. You know, so, and my read was, so you know who this person is, so you know who they are when they come in and save the universe. I really thought that Captain Marvel was going to, uh, more or less, I thought the entire movie was going to be the the first 15 minutes of the movie where Captain Marvel comes in, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of rubs some of the veteran characters the wrong way and then ultimately takes care of Thanos herself and single-handedly saves the universe. I really thought that's the direction that they were going and I was torn on why I felt that way. And I, and I felt that way for like, two conflicting reasons one i felt that perhaps it was uh pandering to a certain audience and unfortunately because of like some of the the rotten videos and some of the nasty articles that i've that i've read and exposed myself to sometimes that 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 shit worms into my brain and sometimes it sticks with me and sometimes i can't shake it if i if i'm being 100 percent honest with you um, so I, I know that there's, you know, like a, a certain vocal minority that, that is, you know, saying things like that. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that, that it's, it, it's pandering to, uh, you know, being, being progressive just for the sake of it and not serving the story. I don't believe that myself, but I'm just, you know, anyway, you get the idea. Um, on the other hand, I could see the filmmakers doing it for the same reason that you get the girl power a force scene where it's specifically pandering, but it's almost pandering in a way that that's presented as a middle finger to those folks that have problems with that. It's like, yeah, no, Captain Marvel is going to save the universe. What are you going to do about it? Incels, you know, that, that, that kind of attitude and in a way of subverting expectations, like I, like I've mentioned a few times, they didn't do any of that. Captain Marvel's just a character that shows up, and yeah, her you know uh, cosmic cosmic power does kind of come into play a few different times, and she does a little bit of universe saving in that, like you know she you know single handedly destroys Thanos's ship. But that doesn't, you know, I mean, she's not she's not taking out Thanos herself. In fact, she actually loses to Thanos in one of, uh, you know, kind of like a, a badass but puzzling move where he uh, pops out the uh, power stone out of the gauntlet and puts it in his other hand to uh, punch her. And I don't know why that works or why that's necessary, because you would think if he's got uh, the power of all six stones. Why doesn't he just punch her with uh, uh, with that hand? I I don't know, but it looked cool. 
it uh, it yeah it was it was a cool visual and the other cool visual and I don't remember when in the fight that that occurred but he um uh, Thanos headbutts Captain Marvel and she doesn't move I thought that was pretty badass I kind of like that you know um so but yeah that that was and and another thing is that it kind of for me creates a weird um uh, a continuity glitch in that I don't understand how the passage of time has happened. So like at the end of Infinity War, we see Nick Fury activate the pager. Okay. So we jump to the post credit scene of Captain Marvel and that kind of shows that the remaining Avengers have retrieved the pager and then it start then it stops transmitting after it stops transmitting they're like oh man what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and in fact there's even like allusion to it where like they've like tried to replace the batteries or they they've done something to make it work so it's odd there is a passage of time after the snap, after the pager has been recovered, but we don't know how much time. Anyway, the the um, the pager stops transmitting because Captain Marvel shows up, fade to black. That that's the end. So it it's really puzzling when we pick up at the beginning of Endgame, and basically uh, Tony Stark and Nebula are marooned in space. And then just get rescued by Captain Marvel. Um, I don't understand how the passage of time works, and that and that that one kind of bugged me. Um, as near as I can put together, at least for my own head cannon, my own head cannon, is that Captain Marvel shows up uh, to respond to the page, and they're like, "Oh, hey, man." There's these, uh, you know, there's other parts of our team that were on this planet. We don't know if any of them are alive or dead uh, because we've lost radio contact with them. So maybe go out to this planet and see if they're okay. And then that's where she finds the ship and brings it back. I mean, I think that's the one that makes the most sense. Um, I almost thought as I as I was trying to keep up with the movie as I was watching it, I almost thought for just a hot sec that Captain Marvel runs into Stark and Nebula on her way to Earth, uh, answering the call of the pager. But that that ends up getting debunked pretty quick because it seemed like it seemed like everybody knew Captain Marvel already, right? Am I am I Am I misremembering that? Um, it, it's it's still a little ropey, but um, I uh, want to move on to uh, you know like I, I've mentioned other folks in the uh, Black Panther group, uh, but I hadn't talked about uh, the man himself, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. Um, this uh, you know. I, I like to talk about my theater going experiences times because, you know, it kind of it adds it adds texture and all of that. But um, there there were there were a handful of kids in our screening and they were 
pretty well behaved for the most part. Not bad for a three hour movie. But uh, one thing that was that was kind of cool and it, I'm kind of surprised that I think it's kind of cool um, when we so we get to the end of the movie, the climactic battle is going to happen. The Avengers are about to assemble. Um, you see these portals open up. I think you've already heard, uh, you know, Falcon give one. Oh, and that was that was one of my other um, one of my other tingly moments where where you hear in Captain America's earpiece. He's like, "Hey, th- this is Sam. You know how how are we doing?" And and then he's like, "On your left." And oh uh, God, I mean, well, it. In case you can't tell, Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie, and that's also written and directed by the Russo brothers. I'm sorry, not it was written by Marcus and Mafili. It was directed by the Russo brothers. I'm getting a little tongue tied. Um, anyway, so so they're the callbacks that they're doing. It's pretty easy because they're calling back to their own work, which is fine. Incidentally, they also wrote Thor The Dark World, which is why we're spending so much time in that. But I don't care because it works. Anyway, I, uh, um, you see uh, the first portal open and out walks uh, Shuri, Okoye, and T'Challa the Black Panther. And from way off in the distance, we, we hear uh, one kid saying like, that's Black Panther! And it was it was just one of those things of, you know, just childhood exuberance. And I should have been annoyed by it, but I thought it was cool because it's like, wait a minute, that kid must be a fan of Black Panther because he sounded really excited that after almost three hours, uh, Black Panther was showing up. And, you know, I just kind of looked over at Lucky. We were sitting there, and I'm like, I'll allow it. And uh, and and it was fine. Uh, but I, I, I thought that was really neat. Um, uh, and there's, you know, speaking of callbacks, there is that callback to... Uh, in Captain America: Civil War, there, there's a little bit of uh, uh, exchange between Hawkeye and Black Panther, and he's like, "Hey, my name is Clint," and T'Challa is all cool and and uh, closed off and saying, "I don't care." They pay that off in kind of like a blink and you miss it type thing, where um, when we're, when we're playing keep away with the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, the Iron Man infinity gauntlet he's like clint give it to me you know because he 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 remembered his name and i guess maybe he's grown in the afterlife i i don't know how that works but but i thought it was cool i mean i i uh i picked up on that on that reference pretty quickly now uh unrelated to the casting characters and i meant to mention this earlier when i was spending so much time talking about the iron man tech infinity gauntlet did you notice that the the Iron Man Infinity Gauntlet is made for a right hand, right? So you you see um, when Hulk uses it, you know it's on his right hand. When Thanos puts it on, it's on his uh, right hand, and obviously when uh, Tony Stark uh, puts it on, it's on his right hand. Now, if you'll remember from the Infinity War and and the Infinity Gauntlet comics, and any time that the Infinity uh, gauntlet is uh, portrayed in the comics. It's always the left hand. 
I just pieced this together because I was just on Facebook a little bit ago going through like some like toy collector groups. I I really think the reason why they made the second gauntlet a right-handed glove instead of a left-handed glove is so that you can buy another toy. Meaning, like, I, I've seen pictures posted of folks with the Infinity War uh, branded Infinity Gauntlet, and now they've got, like, a Marvel Legends, you know, full-scale Iron Man Infinity Gauntlet. So you can get two Infinity Gauntlets, one for each hand. And I don't know if that's cool or if that's... Um, I don't know. I mean, but again, my favorite movie is uh, is a movie where it's designed to sell more toys by executing your your previous favorite toy character. So um, I, I, I don't know if it's um, if it's a bad thing or not. They're like, you know what? We're going to make a right handed gauntlet so you can buy another one and put it on your other hand. Um because I, I mean, like the pictures look pretty badass, actually. Some uh, some happy folks with uh, with two gloves. Um, uh, just the 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 uh, last of the. Uh, well, actually, we're just to about the the main cast. Uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, obviously, as as Doctor Strange. Um, the the thing that I'm left wondering after. Uh, post endgame we know doctor strange 2 is going to be happening but since the time stone is gone um cuz i mean cuz i mean really that's that's what happens right i mean so like captain america goes and puts the infinity stones back where they were taken from uh from from the time heist so that means that Destiny still plays out in that Thanos still collects all of them, still snaps, and then uses the gauntlet. I mean, uses the stones to destroy the stones. So post endgame, the time stone is gone. So um, I, other than being the Sorcerer Supreme... I don't know what purpose Doctor Strange has because the Sorcerer Supreme is also supposed to be the guardian of the Time Stone, the Eye of Agamaru. And incidentally, you know, we we were um, you know back uh, a while ago when I was talking to uh, Chris on the phone. You know, I, I was kind of being critical of infinity stones as objects and i totally forgot that the eye of agamotto is uh is also the time stone so uh um but anyway yeah i just i i don't i don't know how they're going to address that um but i i don't know what to say about paul rudd as uh ant-man i mean i mean the man doesn't age he's funny he's witty he's clever and i i think one one of the things that people were being kind of snarky about on the internet is like basically like the the hero of the movie is uh is the rat that walks across the control panel that that uh, uh reopens the quantum realm and you know it's uh, I mean, yeah, of course, it's a it's a plot convenience, but I would also say that it took five years 
you know, it, it, it wasn't like immediate. So, I mean, there, there's at least a certain passage of time. I guess in a sense what I'm saying is like at some point, something like that would have happened. I, I don't I don't think indefinitely he, he would have been uh, trapped in the quantum realm because, I mean, you, you got to have a movie. Um, uh, Don Cheadle, I talked about uh, pretty extensively already. Um, I, I wonder in uh in you know phase four or going forward is yeah i mean because i mean you you have a couple generations of uh avengers characters right because like uh because i'm i'm looking at my list next and jeremy renner is up and so you know i mean we're getting into the 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 original six and don Cheadle as roadie is iron man is number seven so he didn't get an autograph uh, plate during the credits. So th- does that mean that he is going to continue his war machine? I, I've i lost track of the contracts that people had signed. I used to be pretty savvy on that because I, I remember, oh my gosh, maybe this was uh, around the time that uh no it couldn't have been that far back i just remember having a conversation uh trying to project when chris evans was going to be done as captain america because it's like oh man he signed a six picture movie at, of which he's done three of them um and i think this you know this might have been when i was on bj's geek nation uh, talking about a, a winter soldier like five years ago but but it was like i i remember like having a count of it and i remember like samuel L. jackson uh and sebastian stan they they uh they both signed like nine picture deals and it's like well when you know how far is that and again trying to count you know, is this one of the nine? You know that, that that kind of thing. So, more or less, I don't know if uh, Don Cheadle is done as Rhodey or not. Um, I I don't know. I I I'm mildly contrarian about this. I I love Don Cheadle. I I think he he's a great actor, but I don't I don't know what I'm missing from his performance as Rhodey, but it always feels like there's something missing and i i'm not saying i want terrence howard back but it's just um i i think tony and roadie are really good in iron man 3 kind of doing doing a a buddy cop type of thing but i don't know it's just like the the chemistry isn't always there and i don't know if he's given enough to do maybe that's it maybe he's just not um maybe he's just not given enough to do Okay, so here we go. We're uh, uh, we're we're getting down to it now. Uh, finally, the uh, the main six Avengers, and we'll uh, we'll kind of talk about uh, these two at the same time. You know, uh, uh, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, Clint Barton, and Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, uh, aka the Black Widow. Um, I one uh, well, let's talk about Hawkeye. One, I um. I really like how the movie opens that cold open with uh, with Hawkeye's family uh, getting snapped. It it sets the tone. It reestablishes the stakes, and you know, and it, and it's a heartbreaker. It is interesting though because I I remember 
uh, when the when the trailer th- that one that specific trailer where uh, Hawkeye is showing a young girl how to shoot a bow and arrow. It's like, is that his daughter? Is that Kate Bishop? Um, right about the time it was announced that there would be a Hawkeye show coming up on Disney Plus with Jeremy Renner specifically training Kate Bishop, who is the new Hawkeye in the Marvel comics. It's, um, yeah, so they basically both have the Hawkeye name and uh, hijinks ensue. It's, uh, um, uh, she's a great character, uh, Kate Bishop. Um, uh, but anyway, it's, you know, it turns out it's his daughter, so. I don't know what version of Kate Bishop they're going to bring in because, you know, she's not his daughter. So um, I, I don't know what. Anyway, I, I'm I'm getting in the weeds. Um, I, I I thought that was great, and I like that. That's what sets him on uh, the path to be Ronin. I liked those scenes where you know he he's uh, uh, meeting out uh, vigilante justice and you know just straight up murdering people, and you know has a, has a super edge lord haircut now, and which really looks kind of goofy on uh, on a thoroughly aged uh, Jeremy Renner, and and. I understand not everybody can be ageless Chris Evans, but man, Jeremy Renner's gotten old. It's like he, uh, he, he just, I, I, I don't know if he's got Mickey Rourke syndrome or something, but I mean, man, that leather is more worn than the, uh, than the baseball mitt he, uh, picks up during the, uh, uh, time travel experiment there. But that's, that's me just being mean. But I mean, this is, this is the best that Renner's been as Hawkeye. I mean, you know, he's, you know, a, a patently, um, you know, for, for most folks in the community, uh, you know, kind of a, a disliked character. And I've never quite understood that. But I think a lot of it is based on, you know, his perceived uselessness. You know, it's like, hey, it's a guy that shoots bow and arrows. And, and you know, he's not always been given the best plots and hasn't really always been given the best, uh, um, you know, uh, stories or whatever. But um, I never really had a problem with him uh, conceptually. But, um this they they actually make the character matter and and i i really um i i really appreciated that and i like how that adds another um uh layer of dynamics to his relationship with black widow because i mean they're you know i mean they're black op shield folks from back in the day you know we we even get another budapest reference you know and and i th- again a, a very sweet uh callback it's like you know hey this you know they they they're in space for goodness sake uh traveling in time um yeah being being a long way from budapest in indeed and um with that, you know, so so we we got to talk about Black Widow, and you know, because um, a couple things, you know, she gets a what I feel is a very satisfying character arc in that, you know, she was portrayed in the earlier movies as being cold and distant and no nonsense and being about the job, and then uh, and as these stories progress, she gets. Um, you know, softer and, you know, is uh, accepting of this family that she's built with this group of superheroes. And 
I thought it was really cool that basically she's portrayed as the leader of the Avengers because, you know, apparently Captain America's off, uh, you know, uh, in uh, with a, a grief group therapy and Tony Stark, Iron Man, is off in a cabin in the woods. And um, I, I like that they gave that character that uh uh that role and uh you know being uh such a fan of 90s era marvel comics um black widow was the leader of the avengers for like 10 years in in the comic books and so i i like that we get some of that um you know, we we never really did for for all of uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, uh, extensive wigs and all of the goofy haircuts that that they gave her throughout her history. Um, we never really did get to see like the the uh, uh, shorter, almost almost a, a crop top uh, '90s uh, look uh, there. Um, Cool haircut would not work on Scarlett Johansson, but still. Um, but yeah, no, I, I liked that they uh, portrayed her as as the leader of the Avengers and as really being accepting of this family that she built. So when we get to the uh, the the Red Skull place, you know, Vormir, where where one of them has to be sacrificed, and again, it had to be those two characters, right? I mean, again, it's a story. It's a movie. They're like, well, you know, they did that because they, you know, they they had, you know, some degree of relationship. Well, of course they did. I mean, come on. It's a movie. Um, But I don't know. I all that that entire scene worked for me where they are basically fighting to see who uh is going to sacrifice themselves and and I thought that that that's a culmination of their relationship because throughout these movies they've been shown to save each other's lives no, numerous times and it's great that it's shown as a platonic uh work relationship you know that these that these are effective work buddies and and you know with without you know the extra baggage of you know like a, a forced romance or something like that I, I just I, I I think that's you know when, when when sometimes we criticize things for being progressive, I think it's pretty progressive that you have a male character and a female character and there's you know no, uh, romantic tension there, and I and that they you know they could just be um, effective partners. I like that. Um, but the thing, so so uh, Black Widow sacrifices herself. She dies. Uh, Hawkeye gets the Soul Stone, and that's that is the titular soul for a soul. Um, uh, for that, and you know. For me, this, I mean, aside from the other examples I've already uh, mentioned and some examples that are still yet to come, (laughs) um, this is another way where I feel that Avengers Endgame effectively subverts expectations because we all want it to be Hawkeye. We all want Hawkeye to die. Hawkeye wants to die. And I feel 
that in doing that, and it still makes it satisfying narratively because both characters are um, they're they're acting consistently with their characters. Both of them are aware of what they've done, uh, especially Hawkeye, because, you know, he's he's spent five years murdering gangsters, you know, so for him, he feels like there there's you know, there's no way out. Um, and, you know, same thing for Black Widow, you know, the the whole, you know, red in the ledger line from the first Avengers movie. And I don't know, man, I just um, I mean, I, I, I again the internet you know seems to be upset that well of course it's the female character that uh that gets uh that gets sacrificed and i again it 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 struck me as odd so what i did and i wasn't able to get him um uh get him on the phone uh but i reached out to to my dude eric mannix you know he uh he hung around with me uh during crackle fest during emerald city comic-con you know eric mannix photography awesome dude he's uh he's also a um you know card carrying feminist and used to be on a feminist podcast uh you know out of the fridge talking about um you know that that trope of um a character usually female being uh either killed or depowered or in some way to basically propel the male character story forward that basically all their death does is you know give give the male character uh motivation it's one of the more uh well-worn uh tropes in in storytelling but i i reached out to manix i was like hey man so i got a question for you about the end game uh was black widow fridged you know and that and that's the 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 nomenclature for you know uh like like okay like for example in uh um Batman the Killing Joke um you know one, one of the most famous uh Batman stories Batgirl uh features in it and is shot by the Joker and paralyzed and she's ba- so she's not killed but she is you know depowered and can no longer be Batgirl at at that point basically to propel the story forward of you know in this case it's you know for for both the villains and the heroes all of which are male so basically it's you know it's it's female victimhood for 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 the sake of it i mean we we see way too much of that in fiction and a lot of folks that were upset on the internet seemed to think that this was kind of in the same category so i so i you know it in a segment I'll, I'll call ask a feminist. Um, I asked him, I was like, you know, I thought I would consult an expert. And so this is what Eric Mannix wrote back to me. He, he tells me, um, no, because she's a hero and made the choice to die. It was a heroic sacrifice. Killing off Hawkeye's family, however, was a fridging. And I hadn't even thought of that. I responded to him. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, uh, saw people posting uh, that she was and I was all like, no, I'm pretty sure self-sacrifice for the greater good doesn't count. 
And that's a great point about Clint's family that I missed, because their deaths serve only to propel his story forward, in parentheses I write if I'm understanding the, the trope correctly. He answers and says, yes, Natasha has her own agency, can make her own choices. Uh, the family and everyone else that was snapped had no say. So that's that's the difference between Hawkeye's family and Black Widow. You know, it's it's agency, it's choice, and it's empowerment. And it's not specifically to propel the man's story forward. Now, um, I mean, there, there's other uh, fridgings where you know the the genders are reversed, but they're but they're uh, but they are notably rare. Uh, but that that was you know before I went on a podcast, all all half cocked, as it were. Jesus, that's a terrible choice of words. Uh, you know, just just kind of because I, I I did not understand that criticism. Here's here's the other thing though, it sucks, right? Because, again, we all want Hawkeye to die because nobody likes Hawkeye. But that's the point, and that's why it works. And that's an example of subverting expectations, um, giving you a surprise, something you didn't see. Because who thought, you know, we, we, we were so fixated on when Captain America was going to die, you know, whether Iron Man was going to die, maybe something was going to happen to Thor. Nobody even thought to consider that anything would happen to Black Widow. So I I thought that that was uh, very well done and very well handled, actually. I... And again, it was it it's satisfying. Um, now, the other the last thing I want to mention on Black Widow before um, before uh, before I move on and wrap this up is that um, we we got to talk about the funeral, right? So, um, so uh, everybody jumps back from the time heist and of course Natasha is gone you know Black Widow has died sacrificed herself so that they can get the soul stone and everybody's very sad for about three minutes you know and and you know uh, Captain America is seen uh, quite dour saying like well we were her family which incidentally I thought that was a really good touch when like you know one one of the the tropes that Red Skull has in addition to saying a soul for a soul all the damn time a soul for a soul is like you know he'll he'll say who your parents are he tells Black Widow who her father is and and Hawkeye's like well is that a thing well I didn't know that I I thought that was I thought that was a really cool uh, I thought that was a really cool touch, but um, Hulk gets mad and throws a bench across uh, across Stark Lake. I think that's the same bench that that uh, uh, Captain America Joe Biden sits on later. And I, um, I I waited three hours to to make that joke, um, but no. And and that was another one of the criticisms is that there's a you know, Black Widow kind of her her death isn't really dwelled upon because, hey, man, we got some plot to do. I mean, it's like there's still 
almost an hour of movie left. Um, you know, I mean, she she uh, checks out like in like the second act. And yeah, there's just so much story to tell. But meanwhile, for Tony Stark at the end of the movie, you get everybody. And I uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm such a huge dork. I'm I still don't understand how they got all of those actors in in one place at the same time because that's my understanding is that everybody was there on the day of filming. So um that's that's an impressive chunk of property with a, a massive slope to it to where you can have uh you know 22 uh movies worth of characters and and there's enough room for everybody to be super clicky and hang out with with their own groups and uh um incidentally I really like that um that especially the the Guardians of the Galaxy characters have uh, a respectful uh, black versions of their outlaw outfits. Um, where whereas I mean uh, the 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 Wakanda folks, I understand. You know that they, they have you know ceremonial uh, garb. That's fine. You get like the you know uh, vaguely European, uh, you know, like Scarlet Witch, and you know uh, even Winter Soldier. Everybody's wearing like you know uh, tasteful moto jackets and and whatnot. Most everybody's wearing black and white suits. But yeah, that was the one that I found a little jarring. Is like, wait a minute. So they they have they have special black versions of their of their um, of their outlaw outfits. I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting, but. Anyway, with regards to uh, Black Widow, we know that there is going to be a Black Widow solo movie. Even before Avengers Endgame, it it's my recollection that the Black Widow movie was going to be a flashback story. And, and obviously it's going to be that way. Now, I said something earlier about I don't need stories in the pre-snap timeline. I think, though, the way to go to make this work is you use um, you use the present timeline, again, post-snap, post-endgame, uh, Black Widow is dead, and you use that as the framing device to tell this flashback story. And I think that the framing device is going to be a proper, uh, if not funeral, then at least some kind of gathering. You know, maybe like uh, this is where you can get like a cameo out of some of the the, the surviving original Avengers. You know, maybe, maybe you throw Chris Evans back in the Joe Biden makeup. I don't know. But I think that's what it is. I think that's... Um, because, yeah, it's like, well, wait a sec. Tony got this entire 15-minute funeral and and Natasha got Hulk getting mad and throwing a bench across a lake. And I was like, nah, nah, nah. She's getting an entire movie where the entire movie, the point of it is going to be to mourn this character. So I, I think that's the way it's going to go. So, um you know, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But um, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's that that's my thoughts on Black Widow. Um, uh, the the uh, two characters that I think had that that 
Mm. We talk a lot about, I've talked a lot about subverting expectations and uh, both uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor and Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. Um, Probably the most different versions of both of these characters from what we've seen in the entire thing. I think both of them have, I would say, the um, most thorough character arcs, right? Um, uh, so so uh, let's talk about Thor first. I well, actually, no, I'm sorry. So so the la- last comment on on the pairing of them at first viewing, I didn't like either of them or or more accurately, their their new, uh, incarnation, you know, Professor Hulk and Fat Thor, uh, Lebowski Thor, uh, respectively. First viewing, I'm just like, I, I'm not here with this. Um, but as more time passed, I warmed up to it, and I'm easily influenced. You know, so as I'm listening to a half dozen different podcasts, and all of them are, you know, saying, well, no, this this is you know it's it's good for um you know representation of being your best self like uh like i saw like a whole think piece about like um you know what what thor represents and you know the 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 perspective of uh being worthy you know and and still uh dealing with you know uh, uh PTSD and mental health issues and you know a lot of things that that plague people and i think uh i i who knows around what time the the Disney Marvel brass figured it out that Chris Hemsworth could pull off and have the acting chops to ch- to uh to shoulder um, this much character development because like you look through like the first two Thor movies the first two Avengers movies he's pretty one note and but they also use that one note to bounce off of the other characters and that's fine it's not until we're getting to Thor Ragnarok that that we're really trusting in Hemsworth to really kind of carry it and just that arc between Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, and now Avengers Endgame, it's it's an impressive bit of character development and filmmaking. Um, and again, talk about subverting expectations. Um, we saw Thor be funny uh, in Thor Ragnarok, and then we immediately saw him um, doing that... that uh, one of the things that stuck with me the most about Avengers Infinity War is when they run into him after, uh, you know, like like the Guardians rescue him and, you know, uh, the Asgardians have already gotten their asses kicked by Thanos. And he's doing one of these things where he's still boastful Thor, like we've seen in like those first four movies that I mentioned. But you can hear like the... Uh, the laughing and crying modulation thing like it'll it'll be like a laugh that turns into a cry or a cry that turns into a laugh and how he would kind of play that line up and down uh, up and down the scale and 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 it was so subtle 
I I almost want to go back and listen to my Infinity War podcast to to hear how much of that I actually talked about because that again that 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 is one thing about that movie that's that's really stuck with me is uh is is uh Hemsworth per, uh, performance in that and it just cranks it up to the next level here and I rolled my eyes when when um he showed up being fat and um and and I had it soft spoiled for me and I mean by that because like again spoilers without context on the internet and then uh uh killing spree you know playing uh uh sound drops you know he's fat you know wh- whatever that means uh Scott Steiner or somebody from WWE I don't know um he's fat anyway so so I knew somebody was going to be fat and actually i guess i'll share this with you now i thought it was going to be either um iron man or captain america and i thought somewhere in the movie probably towards the end there was going to be a flash forward like a coda or something and you know we see tony stark at after he is retired from being iron man and he's gotten fat or we see Captain America after he's retired from being Captain America and he gets fat. That's really what I thought all of the spoilers without context. But then but then once I saw Thor, I was like, oh well yeah, that's that's what we're doing. But it's it's played for a joke, but also not really. And it's um yeah, it's it, it's a very interesting choice, and I remember not being enthusiastic about the the uh, fat guy makeup that they had on him because Chris Hemsworth is a stacked dude. He is he's a big, strong dude, and he's got these big fucking arms. And uh, it, I remember it being really weird looking for me, where he's got these giant buff arms, but he's got this flabby latex, and I'm like, those two things don't go together. I was talking to a buddy of mine at work, and he's like, "Have you not heard of Fat Guy Strong?" And I'm like, "What's Fat Guy Strong? What are you talking about?" He, uh, he used to work at a warehouse. And he would see these folks like, you know, huge, big, barreled, uh, barreled bellied fat dudes, but they, they would just be tore up, you know, a giant cartoonishly large arms for the amount of lifting that they would do in the warehouse. But then like, as soon as they, you know, unvelcro their weight belt, it's like, it's like, you know, it all just flops out. So, um, and it was funny, just this last weekend I was watching, I don't know what it was, it was just on TV while I was working, but um, yeah, like strongman stuff, you know, where people like, you know, they, they like, you know, deadlift uh, logs, you know, they've got like, you know, handholds uh, like like uh, chopped into uh, entire tree trunks and they're doing like, you know, deadlifts and power cleans and, you know, all, all kinds of like weird stuff with that and um but thor is the character that you can do all this stuff with because because of the way that he's played and the type of character that he is being this ageless god that's seen it seen it all and at the end of the day it's something where you can actually say something about uh uh, mental illness and depression and PTSD and how how we deal with it and 
you know, seeing the the toll that that superheroing takes on somebody. And in retrospect, it's it's really quite believable and it sets up one of the the best moments in the movie and it's weird that uh, for me, my favorite moments all revolve around Mjolnir, uh, uh, Thor's hammer. Um, so we're back in uh, Thor the Dark World, and he calls for the hammer, and he catches it, and he does like this wry smile and just says, huh, still worthy. He's just as surprised as the audience is. And I just, I thought that that was, again, it was just chef's kiss. I mean, just, just, you know, uh, just wonderfully played. And, um, and, you know, again, it's one of those things that the internet is kind of taken by storm have kind of wrapped their arms around, uh, a Lebowski Thor. Uh, like I, you know, like I've seen folks post, like, you know, you don't need abs to be worthy and, you know, kind of, uh, kind of an extension of the, the acceptance of the, uh, dad bod aesthetic. And really, you know, I could say this tongue in cheek because I, you've heard me and, I like to present myself as as relatively progressive. I I probably still have a lot more personal growth and and uh, uh, that to um, anyway. I I so I make this joke tongue in cheek. Uh, hashtag representation matters. You know, so it's it's nice being a fat guy myself to say like, oh, I've got I I've got some. I, I can see myself on the screen. You know, and, you know, we've heard folks, you know, that have like, you know, watched uh, Wonder Woman and Black Panther and Captain Marvel and said, oh, hey, it's it's cool to see somebody representing me on screen now. Well, um, you know, uh, Chris Evans doesn't necessarily represent me because, good God, that man, uh, America's ass indeed. And um, but yeah, I can I can look at uh, Chris Hemsworth in a in you know the 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 most handsomest, the most vainest, and and the most game comedically to you know uh, take this character for for a long ride. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 great. I I wasn't happy with it at first. I was I just I I thought two different times. One. Oh, oh, that was another thing I wanted to mention. So, so my buddy at work, he, uh, his thing about Thor is that he feels that since he is like an elder god and whatever, that you know his his physical appearance is a state of mind for him. So he he's that way because he wants to be. And and again, the the lesson of the movie is that he's comfortable being that way he's like nope this this is how i am because i kept waiting for when he changes you know i i thought that like when we're getting into the team suits you know the 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 white jumpers that you know suddenly he was just going to get cleaned up and that didn't happen i'm like okay um and then at the climax of the movie when he's wielding both stormbreaker and mjolnir and he's calling down the lightning and his costume comes on. I really thought a bolt of lightning was going to strike his head and give him a haircut and a beard trimming and and the belly would just be gone. No, 
his costume forms around his bulging belly and we're getting some like Celtic braids in in his uh, shaggy beard, which again, I I wasn't into at first, but I've I've warmed up to. And so, yeah, he, he could be fit if he wanted to. He just doesn't want to because it's like, no, this 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 is how I am. It'll be interesting to see what he looks like in uh, Guardians 3. I get I, I I get the feeling that this look is kind of one and done, but uh, but we'll see. And 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 the last two characters and I, I've talked about um, them extensively already, but um I, I think the only thing that I haven't mentioned and and of course it's it's the same fan favorite moment as yours as everyone else's but that was one of the, when when Chris Evans as Captain America calls and wields uh Thor's hammer it's um it was one of those things where I I I I would have given anything i mean i'm i'm incredibly vain anyway but i i would what i would have given to have seen myself react to that moment because and again it's just set up perfectly cinematically it's like you see the hammer flying but you see thor he's got stormbreaker it's like wait a sec where where's the hammer going and it's like oh oh and you know it, anybody that uh, you know you listen to kevin smith and he's always like oh you know lots of yelling i try not to yell into the microphone but it's like just just that i i remember uh uh waving my arms kind of like uncontrollably i'm just like like yeah my thing is it'll be like it's happening you know kind of clapping my hands and stuff and it was just that was one of those things where it just it blew my hair back like um it was it was um i don't i don't know if this falls under the category of subverting expectations but it's it's something that we had we as fans we had wanted but kind of forgot about because it was kind of addressed in age of ultron a little bit and and that's still one of my favorite scenes from that movie is where like the the hammer jiggles a little bit it doesn't move now retroactively does that mean that he could have picked it up the whole time and he chose not to because he's humble or is he just that much more worthy now don't know it doesn't matter but it's a uh, it, it's an it's an interesting uh thought process but yeah no he uh and then he starts swinging it around, and and meanwhile, my my heart's getting broken because the 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 shield is breaking, and yeah, it was just it, that 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 whole battle scene, uh, really just kind of it. I don't know. It, again, I promised I wouldn't do like a whole Last Jedi thing, but it's one of those things where. That movie, the difference between Star Wars The Last Jedi and Avengers Endgame is that Last Jedi subverted all of your expectations and gave you nothing that you wanted. Avengers Endgame subverted your expectations, surprised you, but then still gave you what you wanted, just maybe in a different way. Um, You know, because, I mean, you, you already know 
how the story's gonna gonna end. Uh, despite the dour cliffhanger of Avengers: Infinity War, you know, um, you know, good's gonna win because you're you're not gonna cap off a 22 uh, movie. Uh, 11 year saga on on a dour ending it's just you you can't do that so so yeah it was you know again uh um i i've said several other times that you know i i prefer captain america over iron man um uh and so yeah i i feel that that character was very well served. In fact, I, I saw a graph recently where it's like, I think he got the most screen time, even even maybe a, a couple minutes more than uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man uh, making his swan song as, uh, as Tony Stark. And now it's time for an unpopular opinion. I am ready for Robert Downey Jr. to not be Iron Man anymore. And I think it was uh, during Avengers Infinity War, I think specifically early in the movie when like the goons showed up and, um, you know, Tony Stark is being so quippy and like, you know, calling one character Squidward and just, you know, just being just being super quippy. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is. This is like like a fifty five year old man. It it reminds me of how I talk when I um when I try to interact with people. I unfortunately my I ruined uh some of my vocabulary and the way that I say things from my time being at uh at the college and specifically at KGRG at the college radio station. So I I have like this this very very narrow like uh 2015 uh slang that I can't shake. Like, you know, I I catch myself saying like, you know, fam all the time. I'll be like, thanks, fam. Nobody says that anymore. In fact, I've um I've run into that at work. Like uh like uh uh some of my coworkers are like in their mid twenties and I'm dropping like this like twenty fifteen uh vocabulary like it means something and they're like, What are you talking about? I'm like and and usually because I'm trying to be funny and ironic, I'll say it'd be like, Oh, well, you know, like the kids say. What kids? What are you talking about? So it's yeah, it's it, it's it's this whole weird thing, but that's that's what I feel like latter parts of uh, Downey Jr.'s performance as Iron Man has felt like. It's felt kind of played out. Um, it's like the, the, the jokes don't quite land the way that they used to. Um, he's still great in the role. And, you know, his... Uh, um, I, I remember, and it was either 2007 or 2008. I don't remember when. But it was when Robert Downey Jr. was announced to be Iron Man. I've probably told this story a number of times already, but I remember I was um, uh, talking to my Uncle Chris, who who you've heard in a previous episode when I was talking about TFCon LA. But anyway, um, he he's like, hey, so so uh, they're, they're making this Iron Man movie. And he's you know already kind of squinting his eyes a little bit, and he's like, "So you you hear who they've they've um, got to play Iron Man?" And he's still squinting, and I light up. I'm like, "Yeah, man!" And he's like, 
I think he missed that reaction. He's like, Robert Downey Jr. I'm like, right, exactly. He's like, and he he was blown away by my enthusiasm. I'm like, okay, I I have to explain to you the 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 symmetry and parallel between the characters of Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. the actor. It's like, I mean, that there you're. I don't know if you can find a more perfect match between an established fictional character and an established actor. I mean, because, I mean, again, nothing, not saying any new thoughts, but, um, you know, he, he was kind of washed up, you know, and, and needed a second chance. And John Favreau, um, advocated and lobbied for him to the point where it's like, this movie isn't a movie without, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Oh, we want somebody younger. No, it's it's got to be this guy. And that's what makes it work. And it's like it's like no, uh Tony Stark is a is a uh high functioning uh alcoholic narcissist. <laughs> you know, is you know, had had his share of problems and it's like yeah, it was just it was just like a weird uh, match that I, you know, and and again, I'm not being a hipster or anything like that, but it's like I was enthusiastic from jump. I'm just like, you know, at at around the same time that we were hearing about, you know, Heath Ledger being the Joker, it's like, wait, what? Uh, Ten things I hate about you. What what are we talking about? But um, uh, anyway, yeah. So I mean, it's. His, uh, you know, that that's a that's a complete story arc. And again, we we talked earlier about, you know, bookending it with the uh, I am Iron Man uh, line, and and then yeah, you know, and then 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 the and then the movie ends with the the most elaborate funeral scene ever, and Captain Marvel standing by herself because apparently nobody likes her and. Nick Fury literally walks on and that's like his only uh, uh, thing in the movie and I just think that's that's rad so um, if you have any thoughts things that I haven't mentioned I, I can't imagine that there's much left but I again I really even in this last hour or so um, I, I wanted to go through the characters just to kind of like clear my boards Um uh, but if there's more you want to talk about with regards to Endgame, because you've probably seen it, you know, a couple times now, and maybe I missed some stuff, um, you know, feel free hit me up two three one two two four Mike two three one two two four six four five three, and that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you for listening and hanging around with me for uh, so very long. Hopefully, I. Uh, uh, adequately gave you my perspective on on uh, the Avengers Endgame and if you'd like to listen to any of my past episodes including all of my old KGRG shows subscribe on SoundCloud Google Podcasts the Stitcher Radio app Apple Podcasts and on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts like share rate and review the show wherever you find it leave a five star review on iTunes like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Cyber Radio again you can leave a message uh, voicemail 231 224 Mike 
and write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. And again, that spelling, as always, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Just like it sounds, for my guests, Charlie Harger and Chris Burr-Martin, my name is Mike, this has been Mike Seibert Radio, and until next time, make good choices.